Hi, this is Roy Shoman, and welcome once again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the completion, the full realization of all of the promise and potential of Judaism in the Catholic Church and its sacraments. Today is a very, very special day of the year on the Jewish calendar. It is undoubtedly the most special day of the year. It is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It is the holiest of the holy days of the year, the highest of the high holidays. The Jewish high holidays began 10 days ago with Rosh Hashanah, which is essentially the new year, which begins a 10-day period, which is called the Days of Awe, or the 10 Days of Repentance. And the story is the following. On Rosh Hashanah, God opens the book of life and all of humanity uh, passes before him and he evaluates them and determines what the coming year will hold for them, whether it will be a good year or a bad year, whether they will live or die, suffer or be happy and so forth. And at the end of this 10 days period, during which the book of life is open, God seals the book of life and at that point, one's destiny for the coming year is sealed. So these 10 days are a period of very deep prayer and penitence and repentance and making amends with others. And it culminates on the final day, which is Yom Kippur, which is the day totally dedicated to praying for forgiveness. It is a fast day, a very severe fast in the sense that no food or water is taken from sundown the evening before, would have been sundown yesterday evening, until full dark tonight. So it's about a 25, 26 hour fast. And the period is dedicated, is devoted to just praying to God and begging his mercy. Traditionally, uh, most of the day is spent in the synagogue. The liturgy is pretty much nonstop. And so the more observant Jew would go to synagogue in the morning of today and perhaps take a short break uh, in the early afternoon for an hour or two to take a nap or take a brief walk or something and return to synagogue and stay there until it becomes dark and the book of life has been sealed and one has made whatever reparations or amends to God that one can and the f- one's fate for the coming year is at that point sealed. Then one goes home And there is traditionally a very joyous uh, breaking of the fast meal in the family. So because it is Yom Kippur today, I thought it would be very beautiful to sort of pray Yom Kippur to the extent that we can. Uh, I thought that I would read some of the prayers and then play musical recordings of those prayers uh, generally being chanted in the synagogue because most of the central prayers of Yom Kippur are associated with particular melodies and particular chants. And every synagogue congregation has a cantor whose job is to sing the prayers and lead the congregation in the prayers through his or her nowadays singing. So today's show will be a somewhat musical show. And let's begin at the beginning, at the beginning of Yom Kippur. Uh, the first uh, synagogue service of Yom Kippur, which is the evening before, would have been yesterday evening. And the service centers around the opening prayer of that service, which is called the Kol Nidre, 
which means all bows. And the content of that prayer is a nullification of all of the vows that one may have made to God during that year, with the full understanding, of course, that sometimes we make promises to God that we are unable or fail to keep. And so it is a way of wiping the slate clean from any oaths or promises that we might have made to God in that year and not been able to keep. I will just briefly note that it is strictly oriented towards vows or oaths to God and has, of course, no effect on any uh, human interactions we might have had. Those are, of course, still binding. Anyway, I will read the Kol Nidre prayer, and then I will play a recording of a, a beautiful chant of it. So the prayer reads as follows. All vows, obligations, oaths, and anathemas, which we may vow or swear or pledge, or whereby we may be bound from this day of atonement until the next, we do repent. May they be deemed, absolved, forgiven, annulled, and void, and made of no effect. They shall not bind us, nor have power over us. The vows shall not be reckoned vows, the obligation shall not be obligatory, nor the oaths be oaths. And it shall be forgiven all the congregation of the children of Israel, and the stranger that sojourns among them, seeing all the people were in ignorance. So that's the Kol Nidre prayer. And now let's listen to a recording of it being chanted. think that the heartfelt depth of that prayer comes across, even in, when it's in Hebrew and one doesn't understand the words. And it is, in fact, that heartfelt depth of prayer 
which was one of my motivations for deciding to do the show like this today, because I'm really inviting, I'm inviting all of us to pray with the Jews, and we know where forgiveness comes from. We know where the remission of our sins comes from. We know about the mercy of God. We can invoke the mercy of God through the sacraments in a way, um, if I'm allowed to say so, in a way infinitely more powerful than simply heartfelt prayer. And so let's join our prayers with those of the Jews that they may come to realize the, the fullness of the repentance available from God. And in fact, um, through the sacraments, the sacrament of confession, and through the divine mercy, devotion, and through knowing that Jesus died for our sins. In fact, let me back up a moment and, uh, of course, point out that the sacramental meaning of Yom Kippur has been supplanted, needless to say, by the atoning death of Jesus on the cross. We know that as Christians, and we certainly know that um, it's, it's there in black and white in the scriptures, in particular in the letter to the Hebrews. So backing up for a moment, um, the fast day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is dictated by God in Numbers chapter 29 already. It is the one day of the year, of the entire year, when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies in the temple, the only day of the year when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and would offer an animal sacrifice for the remission of sins of the Jewish nation. It was considered such a uh, holy thing to do to enter the Holy of Holies. No one could do it except the high priest. No one could do it except the high priest on this one day of the year after having been very uh, seriously ritually cleansed. And the understanding was that if he wasn't in a state of purity, he would be struck dead on the spot for the sacrilege. And that actually introduced the problem, what do we do with a dead high priest in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur since no one else can enter to pull him out? So in fact, a cord was tied around his ankle before he would enter the Holy of Holies. So should, God forbid, he be struck dead because he wasn't in a state of sufficient purity, at least he could be pulled out by that cord around his ankle. And I tell that story just to illustrate the incredible holiness and sacredness associated with this day uh, in Judaism in the days of the temple. Of course, there was no temple after about 72 AD when the Romans conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. So that ceremony could not be performed. And it's no coincidence that the temple was destroyed shortly after the crucifixion because, of course, it was with the crucifixion of Christ, or one can consider it was with the Last Supper that sacramental Judaism was transformed into the sacramental Catholic Church. That Last Supper was a sacramental Passover Seder, which is also associated with animal sacrifice. And, of course, Jesus was the true Lamb of the world, uh, excuse me, the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world through his atoning death on the cross. Now, the um, let me read now a bit uh, from the letter to the Hebrews, which um, makes clear this transition that took place between Yom Kippur, the one day of the year when the uh, ho- uh, high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice for the atonement of sins of the entire Jewish nation. The uh, connection between that, the transformation of that, 
into Christ's sacrifice once and for all. So reading from the letter to the Hebrews, I'm beginning um, with the uh, letter to the Hebrews, uh, chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it is fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Of course, that he that uh, has been being referred to is Christ. Going back to Hebrews um, chapter 7, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. Indeed, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary and the true tent, which is set up not by man, but by the Lord. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, hence it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to law but they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, The days will come, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, so I pay no heed to them, says the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach every one his fellow or every one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of the new covenant, he treats the first as obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly sanctuary, for a tent was prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain stood a tent called the Holy of Holies, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, which contained a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go continually into the outer tent, performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the errors of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the sanctuary is not yet opened as long as the outer tent is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper, 
but deal only with food and drink and various ablutions, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy place, taking not the blood of ghosts and calves, but his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred which redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. End of the passage from Hebrews uh, chapters uh, 7 through 9 with a couple of um, paragraphs omitted. Now I know that was very dense um, and you might want to go back and uh, read it more peacefully and and dwell on the verses to kind of um, uh, decipher it a little more. But let me point out uh, just about two or three things about this. One is that passage about um, the passage, uh, quote, the days will come, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Um, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and every one of them shall know me. That was cited by St. Peter on Pentecost Sunday, on the very first Pentecost, as having been fulfilled. That's the prophecy in which, or which refers to God replacing the law written on tablets of stone with the Holy Spirit, with the law written on our hearts. And that's being alluded to there. And the other point that I just want to make is that this passage, since it very explicitly refers to the one day of the year when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and um, kind of transforms that or translates that into the true high priest having offered the sacrifice once and for all rather than annually being Christ, having offered the sacrifice of his own blood for our redemption. This passage makes very explicit the equation between Yom Kippur and Christ's sacrifice. And I'm talking about all of this again just to kind of uh, reflect on what a beautiful exercise of prayer this might be, to use the fact that it's Yom Kippur, to use the fact that we know about the fulfillment of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and its sacraments, to, to pray, to pray for our Jewish brethren, our elder brothers in the faith, as Pope, um, as Saint Pope John Paul II so eloquently put it, our elder brothers in the faith, that they may come into the full treasure which they brought us with the fulfillment of Judaism in Jesus Christ. So with that, let me uh, go back to the prayers of Yom Kippur and the uh, musical rendition of some of those prayers. The entire Yom Kippur uh, service can be seen as one continual confidior, one continual uh, confession of our sins and a plea for mercy and for forgiveness for our sins. It's sort of like one 26-hour uh, confidior, if, if I may make that comparison. We all know that prayer from the Mass. I will read the contemporary form of it. 
I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned through my own fault in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. And I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. And since the Yom Kippur service is, in a sense, a continual confidior, or I confess, there is a prayer in it which uh, crystallizes the act of the confession for sins. It's called the Alket, and I will play a beautiful recording of it being sung. But before I do so, let me um, let me read at least some of it. I may not read all of it because it's about 45 uh, verses uh, naming different sins. You can think of it as a kind of uh, corporate um, a preparation for confession of, of uh you know, the sins that might have occurred during the year that one has to confess. So let me just read, begin reading the Alchet. For the sin which we have committed before thee under compulsion or of our own will, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by hardening our hearts, for the sin which we have committed before thee unknowingly, and for the sin which we have committed before thee with utterance of the lips, for the sin which we have committed before thee by unchastity, and for the sin which we have committed before thee openly or secretly, for the sin which we have committed before thee knowingly and deceitfully, and for the sin which we have committed before thee in speech, for the sin which we have committed before thee by wronging our neighbor, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by sinful meditation of the heart, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by association with impurity, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by confession of lips. For the sin which we have committed before thee by spurning parents and teachers, and for the sin which we have committed before thee in presumption or in error. For the sin which we have committed before thee by violence, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by the profanation of thy name. For the sin which we have committed before thee by unclean lips, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by impure speech. For the sin which we have committed before thee by the evil inclination, and for the sin which we have committed before thee, wittingly or unwittingly, for all these, O God of forgiveness, forgive us, pardon us, grant us atonement. What a beautiful examine of conscience this makes. And, and in that spirit, I think I will uh, indulge myself and read it all the way through to the end as a kind of examine of conscience. Uh, perhaps at this point I will interject a little baptism of, uh, of it and say that um, if you are praying along with me, so to speak, as you're listening for the Jewish people and that they may receive uh, all the grace possible in God's eyes, including ideally the grace of recognizing the fulfillment of Judaism in the Catholic Church, let me interject um, another sort of Catholic version of this, which of course are the prayers from the divine um, from the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Eternal Father, I offer thee the body, blood, soul, and divinity of thy dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Because, of course, that's, that is the true fulfillment of Yom Kippur, 
is his sorrowful passion having really earned or, or purchased the uh, redemption from our sinfulness, the, the forgiveness of our sins, our purification from our sins, rather than the blood of uh, uh, bulls and goats as was necessary under the Old Covenant. So again, with that little Catholic commercial, let me go back to reading the al Het from the Jewish liturgy on Yom Kippur. It's repeated, I believe, about ten times, by the way, on Yom Kippur. For the sin which we have committed before thee by denying and lying, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by bribery, for the sin which we have committed before thee by scoffing, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by slander, for the sin which we have committed before thee in commerce, and for the sin which we have committed before thee in eating and drinking, for the sin which we have committed before thee by demanding usurious interest, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by stretching forth the neck in pride, for the sin which we have committed before thee by idle gossip, and for the sin which we have committed before thee with wanton looks, for the sin which we have committed before thee with haughty eyes, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by effrontery. For all these, O God of forgiveness, forgive us, pardon us, grant us atonement. Eternal Father, I offer thee the body, blood, soul, and divinity of thy dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. Back to the Alchet. For the sin which we have committed before thee by casting off the yoke of thy commandments, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by contentiousness, for the sin which we have committed before thee by ensnaring our neighbor, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by envy, for the sin which we have committed before thee by levity, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by being stiff-necked, for the sin which we have committed before thee by running to do evil, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by tail-bearing, for the sin which we have committed before thee by vain oaths, and for the sin which we have committed before thee by causeless hatred, for the sin which we have committed before thee by breach of trust, and for the sin which we have committed before thee with confusion of mind. For all these, O God of forgiveness, forgive us, pardon us, grant us atonement. Eternal Father, I offer thee the body, blood, soul, and divinity of thy dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. Thank you for bearing with me as I read that entire uh, prayer. And if you're interested in um, looking at it again, it, the name of the prayer is Al-Chet, and in English letters that would be spelled A-L, new word, C-H-E-T. And I'm sure that if you uh, Google it, or perhaps Google Al-Chet Jewish Prayer or something like that, you can find the text, and uh, perhaps someone may want to use it for an exam of conscience before confession or just for their own uh, prayer. Now... Having uh, just listened to the um, meaning of the prayer, uh, the words of the prayer in English, let's hear it uh, beautifully sung or chanted as it would be in synagogue. Ich bin 
I should have warned you, perhaps, that that recording was from 1921, hence the raspiness or, or hiss in the background. But I think that, again, even without understanding the Hebrew words as they're being sung, the plaintiveness, the prayerfulness, the pleading with God, the the um, confusion and contrition at the state of one's own sinfulness and the throwing oneself on the mercy of God comes through loud and clear. Perhaps I should take a moment here, uh, in case any of you have joined us mid, mid-program. Uh, this is Roy Showman on Radio Maria with the show Salvation is from the Jews, the show that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith or the fulfillment of Judaism in the Catholic Church. And today is Yom Kippur, the highest of the high holidays on the Jewish calendar, the holiest day of the year, the day of atonement, uh, the day of repentance, the day of uh, pleading most forcefully and most um, deeply in the heart for God's forgiveness for the sins which we committed over the preceding year and that God may have mercy on us in the coming year. So that's what we're doing today. We're dwelling on Yom Kippur and its prayers and on some of the music that is associated with those prayers and and the chanting of those prayers in an attempt to kind of um, unite our own prayer with the prayer of the Jews today. Of course, to plead for God's mercy on the world. God knows that we need a tremendous amount of divine mercy on the world when you look at the state of the world and the state of sin in the world and so forth. And also for God's mercy on the Jewish people, that those to whom he first revealed himself might come to know him in his absolute fullness, in the absolute maximum fullness with which he has revealed himself to mankind, which of course is in the Catholic Church and in the sacraments of the Catholic Church and in his presence, body, blood, soul and divinity in the Eucharist. And all of those gifts, in a sense, all of us Catholics owe to the Jews since they, in some sense, brought about the incarnation of God. And so it's long past due that we return the favor and give back to them the gift which they brought mankind through the incarnation, ministry, suffering, and death of Jesus Christ to be our true forgiveness of our sins, the ultimate forgiveness of our sins. So... With that little, once again, Catholic commercial, let me go back to the Yom Kippur prayers themselves. Let's turn now to, um, in some sense, a, uh, I don't want to say more joyful prayer, but a prayer in a little bit of a different mood that's uh, said a number of times over the high holidays, including on Yom Kippur. It's called the Avinu Malkeinu, Our Father, Our King, and it is a plea that God should hear our prayer and should uh, show his mercy on us, show his mercy towards us. So let me again read, begin, precede the playing of the song version of the prayer with reading the text of the prayer. Our Father, our King, hear our voice. Our Father, our King, we have sinned before you. Our Father, our King, have compassion upon us and upon our children. Our Father, our King, Bring an end to pestilence, war, and famine around us. Our Father, our King, bring an end to all trouble and oppression around us. Our Father, our King, inscribe us in the book of life. Our Father, our King, renew upon us a good year. Hear our voice, our Father, our King. Renew upon us a good year, our Father, our King. Hear our voice. 
So goes the text of the Avinu Malkenu prayer, and now I will turn to another recording of it. Uh, this is in a little bit of a different um, timber, one might say. It's actually the very well-known Jewish uh, pop singer Barbara Streisand singing the prayer uh, quite prayerfully, actually. So let's now go to the Avinu Malkenu as it is sung.
again, if you should be interested in um, getting access to this prayer, either the text of the prayer or recordings of the prayer, one could try uh, just Googling the name of it. It's spelled A-V-I-N-U, New Word, uh, M-A-L-K-E-I-N-U, Avinu Malkenu. And in fact, uh, this this recording of Barbara Streisand's of it and many others are uh, available on YouTube to listen to. And in fact, most of the prayers, I think all of the prayers that I've mentioned so far in the show today, uh, can be found on YouTube in a number of different uh, renditions. So uh, if, if one wants to pursue this further, that would be a good way to go about it. Now let me uh, turn to another uh, uh, sort of central Yom Kippur prayer. Perhaps it would have made sense for me to start with this prayer because the prayer itself is a description of what takes place on Yom Kippur, the uh, spiritual content of Yom Kippur, the activity of God on Yom Kippur. It's called the Unetna Tokef, and um, it actually only dates from the Middle Ages, but it is uh, totally incorporated in virtually every uh, sect of Judaism, so to speak, uh, Yom Kippur service. So let me first read the content of the prayer in English, and then I will again play a recording of it being chanted. Uh, by the way, like all of these recordings, I hope that you you are able to feel coming through the Hebrew words, the plaintiveness, the depth of the prayer that is that's um, flowing through. So the words of the Netna Tokef. Let us now relate the power of this day's holiness, for it is awesome and frightening. On it, your kingship will be exalted, your throne will be firmed with kindness, and you will sit upon it in truth. It is true that you alone are the one who judges, proves, knows, and bears witness, who writes and seals, who counts and who calculates. You will remember all that was forgotten. You will open the book of Chronicles. It will read itself in which everyone's signature is, and the great shofar will be sounded, and a still, thin silence will be heard. Angels will hasten. A trembling and terror will seize them, and they will say, Behold, it is the day of judgment to muster the heavenly host for judgment, for even they cannot be vindicated in your eyes in judgment. All mankind will pass before you like a flock of sheep, like a shepherd pasturing his flock, making sheep pass under his staff. So shall you cause to pass, count, calculate, and consider the soul of all the living, and you shall apportion the destinies of all your creatures and inscribe their verdict. On Rosh Hashanah will be inscribed, and on Yom Kippur will be sealed. How many will pass from the earth, and how many will be created? Who will live and who will die? Who will die at his predestined time, and who before his time? Who by water and who by fire? Who by sword, who by beast, who by famine? Who by thirst, who by upheaval? Who by plague, who by strangling, and who by stoning? Who will rest and who will wander? Who will live in harmony and who will be harried? Who will enjoy tranquility and who will suffer? Who will be impoverished and who will be enriched? Who will be degraded and who will be exalted? But repentance, prayer, and charity avert the severe decree. For your name signifies your praise, hard to anger and easy to appease. 
For you do not wish the death of one deserving death, but that he repent from his way and live. Until the day of his death you await him. If he repents, you will accept him immediately. It is true that you are their creator and you know their inclination, for they are flesh and blood. A man's origin is from dust, and his destiny is back to dust. At risk of his life he earns his bread. He is likened to a broken shard, withering grass, a fading flower, a passing shade, a dissipating cloud, a blowing wind, flying dust, and a fleeting dream. But you are the king, the living and enduring God. There is no set span to your years, and there is no end to the length of your days. It is impossible to estimate the angelic chariots of your glory, and to elucidate your name's inscrutability. Your name is worthy of you, and you are worthy of your name, and you have included your name in our name. Amen. So reads the text of the Yutna Tokev. And I hope, I hope, I hope that um, it is as apparent to you and that you are as moved as I am by the, the depth and the earnestness and the truth and the genuineness of this uh, Jewish prayer that we're going through today on Yom Kippur. And that you will join with me in uniting our prayer with the prayers of our, quote, elder brothers in the faith, again, as John Paul II said, that um, they may bring down absolutely the maximum amount of God's grace and God's mercy, and that they may come in to the fullness of his covenant with mankind as we have. So with that, let me uh, turn to a very beautiful recording of the Unetna Tokath. Uvechenu lechosalek dusho, ki ato eloike hinu melech. Unesane toikev dushas hayoho, Oh, my God. 
I hope you enjoyed that uh, rendition of the Unetna Tokef from the Yom Kippur service that kind of defines what's going on spiritually in the heavens on that day, the way all of mankind is passing like a flock of sheep before God who is uh, weighing uh, their, um, their sins and their merits of the preceding year and determining their fate for the coming year. We are drawing to the uh, close of this show, and since, as you've been able to tell, this show has sort of been woven around the juncture between Judaism and Catholicism around Yom Kippur, I would like to close the show with a, a somewhat lengthier instrumental performance of the Kol Nidre, the prayer with which I began this show, the All Vows prayer that begins the Yom Kippur service on Yom Kippur Eve. And what's very special about this performance is that it was performed at what's known as the Papal Holocaust Concert. This was a concert performed in the Vatican for uh, Saint Pope John Paul II. And it was um, a, a concert to commemorate the Holocaust, to commemorate the Shoah. It was performed in um, 1994, on April 7th, 1994, in the uh, Paul VI Audience Hall. The orchestra was the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra of London. Uh, the conductor was Gilbert Levine, who had first met the Pope after he was appointed artistic director and conductor of the Krakow Philharmonic in December of 1987. Pope John Paul II was in presence, as was the uh, chief rabbi of Italy, uh, Rabbi Elio Toff, and the president of Italy, Oscar Scalfaro, uh, also presided over the event. The uh, selection from this concert, which we are going to hear, is an instrumental version of the Kol Nidre by Bruch with the uh, main instrument, the, the, the solo instrument, being a cello, uh, in some sense taking the place of the human voice. I think you'll, you'll see how, how beautifully and how emotively this uh, projects the sentiment of the Kol Nidre. And with that, um, that, this will close out the show. So I want to thank you for having joined us uh, on this very special day, on this Yom Kippur Day. And I invite you to join us again next week same time, same place. Now, the Brook Kol Nidre from the Papal Holocaust Concert performed in front of uh, St. Pope John Paul II in 1994. I hope you've enjoyed the show. <laughs>